welcome to the We're Not Really Strangers podcast. I'm Jude Lugo, and on the show today, we're with Sarah Hakim. She's a student studying politics on a pre-law track, and she's a double hyphenated American. That is a Muslim Kurdish American. That's part of her identity that she's here to share today. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hey, Jude. I'm really excited to be here and to share my story. Well, hey, Sarah. Yeah, um, I'm super excited for you to share your story as well. Um, I guess I'll just start off by saying kind of how we met, right? Um, we were both part of uh, student government together. Um, and, I, you know, I was a, a freshman and you were a junior at the time. Um, and I just remember you were super welcoming to me um, from the first day forward. Um, and we were definitely great friends, you know, uh, and, and still are, I think. We don't get to talk as, as often as I think we, we should, right? Right, right. I have to agree. I remember um, seeing you freshman year at our 7.15 a.m. class, and I was super tired, but I was also really um, nervous as well because it was my first time being in that class. So I wanted to make, you know, especially the freshmen feel super welcomed. And so meeting you and getting to, like, know you um, and hear your story was all absolutely awesome, and everybody was super proud of you even like when they first met you they were like this kid is gonna go places <laughs> yeah I remember those were definitely some early mornings um I, I the other day I, I tweeted something you know it was the first day of uh of school this year I, I'm putting that in, in air quotes because I, I think our real first day of school is as of the day that we're, we're talking today tomorrow um but we had our first day of like remote learning um and I was thinking back to the first day of my freshman year when I walked in um to school and it was quiet. It was probably like seven o'clock because I didn't want to be late the first day, you know, for <laughs> for leadership class. Um, and I walked by those vending machines. Uh, like I came in uh, kind of by the gym, and I just thought to myself, "This is never going to be the same. You're never going to get to walk in for the first time again." Yeah. And then yeah. we then we did it, you know. Mm-hmm. It was for me. I mean, when I was a freshman coming into James Clemens High School, which is a enormous school, it's it was so big. I was like, I'm on a college campus, but I had initially come from a small private school in Huntsville. It was called the Islamic Academy of Huntsville. And it contained from um, preschool until eighth grade, only 70 students. And I grew up with the same 10, my, like literally my entire life from pre-K until like middle school, it was the same 10 kids. Um, So coming into James Clemens, I was super nervous as a freshman. I didn't know anybody. I knew absolutely no one because I came from Huntsville to Madison. And so it was a super scary transition for me. So I just remember like the first time I actually had any interaction with freshmen being in the same club as me, I was like, I need to make them feel, you know, like they belong. Right. And I think it's so easy, you know, just to kind of embrace the awkwardness. You know, sometimes when we're in a new group, whether we're a, a freshman, a junior, or a senior, whatever, you know, um, just to not reach out. But uh, you you really took that step and, and reached out. And I really appreciate that, you know, um, because it was um, as excited as I was to be at JC and to, to be like freshman class president and be in leadership class and all these things. It was um, definitely just weird going into something that we didn't really know what to expect, right? Right. Um, but yeah, definitely a great experience together in leadership class. And um, I miss seeing some of those people every morning. Um, I'm going to have to go bring, well, I don't know when they're going back in person, but I'm going to have to go bring some donuts to them one day because I remember all the, the older kids coming back and doing that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Last year, me and Sydney, we went and we did that. And it was super exciting to see all the new faces and to get we sat through the entire class and got to see what they were working on that day. Um, and they were working on homecoming stuff because it was super you know, early in the semester. But this year we weren't able to. They're not accepting visitors and classes haven't even started for them in, like remotely yet. And it's it's kind of sad because we had to stop our tradition of going back. I know. Yeah. I, I ho- Hopefully we'll get a chance to do it sometime this year because that's my senior year. I'd like to go back and see the people that I started the high school journey with, you know? Yeah. Well, when you go, you, you give me a call and I'll come with you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Well, um, you know, we're here on the show today um, to, to listen to your story and to hear your story. And um, one of the beautiful things about this show is that everybody who's on gets to share their story and it's, it's different. Um, and I think through the difference in the stories, that is part of the, the beauty of this is, is hearing how everyone kind of starts off differently and they may have different journeys or paths and, and passions and things like that. So um, if you could share a story today, what would it be? Okay, well, let's start. So I guess I'm a 19-year-old girl. I've lived in the same single-story home in Madison, Alabama my entire life. You know, to me, when I was first thinking about, okay, what am I going to say on this podcast, I was really nervous because I was like, what even is my story? You know, that's something really hard to kind of like dictate and like break down. What what shapes me? Who am I today? Um, but I guess what I'll start with is my parents' story, because as a child of immigrants, like that's that's, you know, a really big story that shapes who you are. Um, and so for me, I really remember learning about their story in like, what was it? The third grade, I was interning an American Legion essay contest and I was super excited to write my essay and it was about, um, immigrants. It was about, you know, like children of immigrants. So I remember asking my dad, how did we get here? Like, how did we come to America? My dad sat me down and he was very dramatic. He was like, it was a yellow day, you know, and I was like, okay, dad, cut to the, cut to the chase. You know, I don't have all day. And so he was like, well, first, I mean, he was like an engineer working for British and American companies in Kurdistan. At the time, Saddam Hussein, who was a dictator, um, was tearing down buildings for the poor, tearing down villages you know, tearing down hospitals. He was just being, you know, what a dictator does. Just this awful person. And he was working for American and Kurdish companies at the time as a civil engineer and would go back and rebuild those buildings and rebuild those villages and work on water lines that were being cut off and electricity lines that were being cut off. And at some point, Saddam Hussein was like, you know what? I mean, to cut it short, this is exactly what he said. He was like, if you guys keep doing this, I'll cut all of your heads off. You have 24 hours to leave. So my dad had to pack up his entire life, his entire four walls of everything he knew with his newly wedded wife and his new child. She was my sister. She was about one years old and they had to pack it all up within 24 hours and move out of, out of the country, out of Kurdistan. So that was really hard for them. It was really hard. You know, talking about it right now, my dad was only about two years older than me as of right now. He was like 21 and my mom was 20 and they had a one-year-old child and they had to pack up everything they knew and leave. 
Um, and that's what they did. They, you know, left and my mom was telling, I was asking her, I was like, so what was the hardest point in time? Like, you know, leaving everything you knew, like, was it leaving your mom? Was it, you know, having to pack up everything, leaving your money, leaving your home? And she was like, honestly, I forgot your sister's diapers and it was the worst time. Um, so, I mean, just learning about that and then having them come here. And it's like the basic immigrant story. If you ask anybody, like, how did your parents come here? They'll tell you, oh, I only had $5 in my pocket and I came from nothing to being something here. You know, that's like your average American, you know, immigrant story. And that's exactly how my dad told it. He said that he went from being this big shot, you know, at the civil engineering company, you know, head of the company, um, leading all of these super big projects to coming here and working in a factory, you know, and coming home, working late hours. And, you know, my like three-year-old sister at the time, you know, when they had come here and he was working at the factory, like she'd look at him and she'd think, oh, he's too nasty for me to hug. That's how bad, you know, the factory workers were treated and how bad, like, you know, his situation was. So, I mean, to hear that, you know, having that big change in your life, that's something that still affects him today. You know, he still thinks about it to this day. Um, so that was, that's pretty much like how my parents came here. We were um, not really refugees, but we were escaping a dictator at the time who had, you know, put out that he would cut off anybody's head who didn't leave within the 24 hours that was working for that civil engineering company. And we spent some time in Guam, um, a military base for America, um, before we came here. And then we ended up in a small town in Columbia, Tennessee. And that's where it really, you know, their entire life kickstarted. My dad, you know, met some friends and got a job in the medical field. Um, and he never really went back to school because he already had a wife and children and needed to provide for them. So that's kind of how their story starts, you know, going from these big shots in Kurdistan to really like, like starting it off a whole new life over again at such a young age away from family um, as just a couple and their one child. So I think that's pretty interesting. That's where my story starts because how they live their life. I mean, my dad, he, every time like we talk about school, every time we talk about what I want to do with my life, he's like, America is the land of opportunity. To him, that's his American dream. He came here you know, with nothing and worked his way up and has three like wonderful children, really smart kids and a wonderful wife. And he's living out his American dream in this small town of Madison, Alabama. Um, and so that's really where my story starts. And I remember writing that all down um, as a third grader in my essay, um, putting the dramatic effects on it and winning the contest. And I was like, well, that is who I am. That really shaped me. You know, that's who I am as a child of immigrants. I hear, I hear that story almost every night at the dinner table, you know? Yes. And, and so, I mean, that must have been so exciting to win that contest. Um, I mean, that's such an interesting story. How much, like, did you win anything or like, did they come to your school or something? Yes. So they came to our school and I remember winning $25 and it was like the highlight of my day. I was like, this is so awesome. I want to keep writing. And so actually, like I've, I 
I recently, I mean, in high school, I started a blog where I wrote about my life. I wrote about hardships, um, about how to overcome those hardships. I've just written my entire life. Um, and I, you know, I have a blog post now I've written in my journals and I really think that was like the head start of where my writing came from because I was super excited to win something. Right. Um, I mean, that's just such an interesting story to hear kind of how your, your parents came up because I always wonder like, you know, why are people the way that they are, right? Um, you know, some parents are more, uh, protective and other parents are less so. And I mean, like your parents, are they more protective or are they more, um, you know, giving you more freedoms? I mean, how would you, how would you describe them? So my parents, they like, they come from a really conservative town, you know, but when we're in Kurdistan, when we're in our own home, they're really free. They're like, oh yeah, you can go down the street to you know, this neighbor's house, or you can go, you know, walk to the mall. Everything is kind of like, um, it's like a walkable neighborhood. Um, but I noticed like when we come back to America, they're really protective, you know, because to them, even though they've lived here for 23 something years, um, they, they're really protective. I mean, even going to neighbor's houses, they still feel kind of like in inclusive, like, um, introverted really in this place, even though, I mean, compared to most other immigrant parents, they're very loose. They're, they've given me a lot of freedom. You know, they let me do almost everything that I want, but they're also like, okay, text me when you get there because to them, it's still a strange land. Right. And it's gotta be, I mean, you talked about the 24 hour thing, right? And 24 hours to leave or your head gets chopped off. I mean, that is pretty, it's gotta be pretty jarring. Um, and, and to have to just pick up and, and, and start a new life all of a sudden is a huge deal. So I can definitely see why that would shape the way that they really lived the rest of their lives. Um, but I guess kind of what I want to find out is, is how has that shaped you, right? I mean, this experience, um, with, with them and, and them sharing their story with you, um, you know, you were in third grade at the time, and now you're, I'm trying to do the math here in my head, now you're in, what, a uh, 14th grade? <laughs> you're, uh, yeah, oh, um, yeah. You know, how, how, is, how has your view on the story kind of changed in 11 years, and, and how has it affected you over that period of time? Right, so I remember hearing this story from my parents, and I was like, wow, that's crazy. I mean, and as I said before, like, I asked my mom, like, what was the toughest part? And to her, that was taking care of her child, you know? during that time, like, what are we going to do? We have a, you know, we have a little girl, you know, and we have to take her. I mean, their story was not easy. They were going to camps. They were hiding away from, you know, a dictator that was set out to cut off their heads. So, I mean, I remember hearing that and I was like, it kind of sounded like a movie to me. Um, but as I got older, I realized like that's life, you know, that's how it really is for some of these people. You know, you come to America and you think, oh, we're so privileged. No, you don't understand how privileged we are. You don't know what these people are going through, you know, especially in the Middle East. Um, you rarely understand unless you live it. And I still don't understand. And I have parents who lived out with it. But even with my parents, like friends, I know like when we sit down and we have dinners and they tell their story and they talk about like how electricity is cut off on them every like, you know, hour, every two hours, 
how they don't even have drinkable water, um, how they hear bombs, um, and they don't think anything of it. You know, I remember one of my friend's dads, he was telling me, he was like, the other day I heard fireworks, and I was like, what is going on? He was so scared that it was, um, you know, bombs. He wasn't even, he was, he still had that PTSD. So, I mean, growing up, it kind of went from a movie to, this is real life, this is real life, and, like, people's actual stories comes from war and bloodshed and I'm over here complaining about you know having to work you know or having to study and oh my gosh I have a final in class and you know there are some kids that would kill to have an education that we're provided here you know yes I I mean definitely just putting things in perspective is is such a huge thing um you know, I know sometimes I'll kind of get overwhelmed. Um, like I'll make a list of things that I have to do and I'll be like, wow, I have a lot of stuff to do. And then like yesterday I found one of those lists that I made and I was like, wow, wow, I got that all done. Like, you know, that was, that was easy. And I, I feel like a lot of, um, our struggles are more, um, temporary, you know, uh, we're, we're blessed in that regard. Um, whereas some of the, the struggles that, uh, people like your parents face, um, are, are not struggles that are necessarily temporary, right? There's really no end in sight. Yeah. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, even now, like, so my older sister, she is, um, she is in Kurdistan. She moved back home to study medicine, and now she's a practicing doctor there. And I remember her sending me videos of a bomb exploding about, like, maybe 45 meters from the house. Um, And I was so scared. And she was like, oh, this is like natural daily occurrences. You know, at the time, it was between like, the fight against ISIS, you know, between the Kurds and ISIS. And I remember her sending me the video and all I had was American news. And it was like, you know, it was the scariest thing. And she was like, oh, it's like normal occurrences here. Everything is fine. And I was just like, this is your life. You know, that's crazy. And so having been surrounded by my four walls, like currently I'm I'm sitting in my four wall, you know, room of just childhood memories and everything that has kind of kept me inside. Um, and like, you know, you realize what the outside world looks like and it's so scary. It really is. Yeah. And, and you, you talked about kind of the media coverage freaking you out here, right? And she's over there on, on the ground living in it. And for her, it's like you said, a normal day. Um, you know, with these experiences that your family has and, and that you've shared with them, um, would you say that, that the news coverage that we see today of, you know, uh, terrorism and, and violence, um, is accurate? Is it, is it overhyped? Is it over sensationalized? What, what do you think about that? Well, okay. This is a really hard question because as you know, for, for like regarding my sister, not seeing it as big of as a hype, it's because she's, um, in a really protected capital where all of like, you know, that's where the president lives. That's where his family lives. You know, it's, it's really protected. So she's not worried about it at all. Um, but at the time, you know, I do believe that the media coverage kind of puts a twist to the terrorism that happens. Um, but you know, that's how any media coverage works. You know, especially in the U S you hear about things and you're like, Oh, well, it's actually not that bad. You know, but it really was when the fight was going on between ISIS and the Kurds and America put their boots on the ground to help us defeat the Kurd, um, the uh, defeat ISIS. That was it was an intense time. And I remember my sister being back home and I was just constantly scared, but she was really safe. Um, but, you know, like a couple ways from 
where she was living and she wouldn't have been safe. You know, you make the wrong turn on the highway and you're on your way to Mosul and that's it for you, you know, you'd get captured. But I mean, to them, like, because we live such a privileged life in America and the same people who cover the media stories live a privileged life to them, that's crazy. They're like, what? You know, and they make this big deal about it. But I mean, to people back home, that's been their entire lives. It's gone from war to bloodshed to more war to terrorist attacks. And that's in their entire life. You know, here in America, we're so scared. Like, we were so scared of ISIS. And they had never set foot in America. They never set foot in this country. I mean, so to think about these people who are living with them. And I remember, like, I mean, people that live back home, you know, I remember my sister had a friend during the day he would go out, fight ISIS and come home for dinner. You know, that was his daily life. That was his life. Wow. We come back to the word perspective again, right? Um, Mm -hmm. It's just it's huge on our perspective and and how we live our lives and kind of what we accept as normal. Um, And I think we see that a lot especially today as we're battling so many things, I feel like uh, in, in our country is um, perspective wise is, you know, what is bad based off perspective and, and how, how bad do we really delve into the numbers of, of things? Um, I want to ask you, kind of go back to when I, when I first introduced you, um, you said you're uh, in, in political studies, uh, right? Yes, yes, I am. And I'm so excited, Judy. You have no idea. You know me. You know that this is like my passion. Um, I started off college actually undecided. um, And I was really afraid, like, you know, what I do determines the rest of my life. You know, do I really want to work a desk job? Um, And I remember talking to one of my friends and she was in computer science and she was like, instead of being undecided, why don't you um, focus on computer science? Because even if you don't like it, in the end, you'll still have that experience, you know, of, because that's really important nowadays, you know, being in that field is super important and it's, you know, it's necessary. Um, There's a constant need for it. And so I was like, okay, you know what, I'll just give it a try. And so I did it for my first semester and I was like, okay, I absolutely hate this. And by the middle of my second semester, I was like, I don't care that I don't like this. Um, I don't care that it's gonna, I feel like a failure if I, you know, leave this um, study, I'm going to do what I'm passionate about. And it was during the middle of quarantine because, you know, that's where, you know, the middle of quarantine is where you decide big decisions in your life of like what you're going to change, you know? Yeah. And so I had to kind of, that's like one of the biggest experiences, the biggest lessons that I've learned so far um, in my college life is that nobody really knows what they're doing, you know, and you shouldn't be afraid of failure. And the fear is actually the barrier to success, not failure. So I decided even if like, I'm not going to go through with this and I might seem like a failure to others in this field. I'm going to do what I love. And that was politics. So I indulged myself in politics. I called up my um, advisor the same day that I decided that I was going to, you know, do this study. And I was like, can I change to pre-law please? And he was like, yes, of course you can. Um, So that's exactly what I did. So now I'm majoring in politics and minoring in philosophy and I absolutely love it. I, I love it. I haven't, you know, loved anything more, and I'm super confident in my decision. Well, nice. Um, why would you say political studies is your thing, right? Um, 
I, mean, I know there's a lot of, of pressure to go into the STEM field um, for, for a lot of people, you know, whether that be from their family or from schools or, you know, from the money aspect, right, and the stability aspect. Um, for you, why, why was political uh, science just, why was that such a clear choice once you tried computer science? Right. So, okay. I remember the the main reason why I tried computer science was not because my friend was like, oh, you should just try it even though you should be undecided. I was like, this is such a great field because four years out of it, um, just four years, and I could be making like 80K, 90K, and then work my way up from there. And it's such a nice, I mean, I live in the heart of NASA, the heart of technology. I live in Huntsville, Huntsville, Alabama, you know? Um, and so, that was super clear to me. I was like, this is this is a really good field money-wise. But as soon as I started it, I was like, I cannot sit behind a computer. I'm a very social person. Even though I'm a little introverted, I'm very social. And I couldn't see myself working a desk job for the rest of my life. And so I was like, this is absolutely not it. And so politics has always been a passion of mine. Even, you know, school politics, joining student government. I really enjoyed it. And you have, I mean, there's actually such a a relativity between school politics and actual like, you know, Washington DC politics, even though you might not see it, you know? Um, so I really enjoyed that. And I was like, there's, you know, that's my passion. That's something I want to go into. And I remember reading this article and it was like 85% of lawyers are white, white males, you know? Um, so I was like, this is something I need to change. You know, as a child of immigrants, we need more immigrant lawyers um, more civil rights lawyers, because how do you fight for a people, you know, for a people that you are, you know, how do you empower um, women of color as if you're not a woman of color, you know, how do you really indulge in that um, perspective if you're not from that perspective and if nobody from that perspective is actually standing up for those people. So that's kind of why I wanted to do it, because I wanted to do the pre-law tract and really get involved in that politics and hopefully, hopefully become the first Muslim Kurdish American um, senator of Alabama. That's my biggest goal. That's my biggest dream. Um, so that's that's really what indulged me in the idea of politics. And because I'm necessarily good at it, I mean, every day I listen to NPR, every day I watch the news, you know, there's not one day that I miss the news or not one conversation that I wouldn't indulge in, um, in politics. So I knew that was something that if I was passionate about it, I was going to succeed in it. Yeah. And I think sometimes we forget, um, when we're trying to choose what we want to do with our lives, right? I mean, we're both about at the same age, you know, I'm, I'm making a decision soon about, you know, where I'm going to spend the next four years of my life. Um, and, what I want to study, right? Um, and it's, it's so hard to choose to indulge what you love, right? Because there are so many pressures and, and the monetary thing like you talked about, but I think it is um, such a huge thing to know that you're, you're fighting for empowering people like you, like you said, um, and getting to, to reach those goals that you have for yourself, I think is just so um, empowering. Uh, and I wanted to say before we move on, um, you talked about the relativity between like our student government at our school and in the real government. Um, and, you know, I think that's so true. There's a really great documentary out um, on Apple TV Plus. I don't know if you have it or not, but if you don't or if any of our listeners don't, the free trial 
might be worth it. Um, there's this really great documentary. It's called Boy State. Um, and it follows a uh, mock political process in Texas um, where they have more than 1,100 um, boys uh, descend on the Capitol in Austin um, and do this mock political process where they elect all these officials. And it, it is really interesting to see kind of just how cutthroat it can be, even with 17-year-olds, right? Um, and And you have to wonder with the cutthroat nature of that and how, you know, it's all about politics and winning and maybe fighting for things you don't even believe in. Um, I have to wonder how much of that is uh, learned from politics today. And so I think, you know, people like people like you and me um, can change that for sure. Oh yeah. I totally agree with you. I mean, even recently, um, the running between, you know, AOC and Crowley, you see her um, extend to a new people, extend to the people of that place. You know, she beats this man who's an incumbent. Um, He's, you know, everything that New York knew to be, um, you know, congressman-wise. And then they chose this girl um, who was young and new and this, um, like, a, a girl who just knew the people. She grew up in that place and she knew what they needed and they chose her. And so I really see that, you know, becoming a change in politics, you know, going from that average, you know, when you think of like congressmen, you think of these really like old, you know, white men, you know, that's what you think of. Um, But that's not what it should be. It should be a mixture of everybody. It should be white and black and Hispanic and, you know, Arab. There should be all these different type of people because that's what America is. That's what we're known for. The United States is a melting pot. And so our government should really reflect that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I actually got a chance to participate in that Boy State program that I was telling you about the documentary that was, that was made. And I had the opportunity, even though it was, it was all online this year to meet some of our representatives and, and Congress people. And I guess kind of what I realized during that time is that these people are not uh, superhuman, right? Um, as much as we like to think that, as much as I think the media makes us feel that way, and um, I mean, they are real humans, right? Um, with with stories, in many cases, just just like ours. And and um, I know there's definitely a lot of work to do to get um, representation for for all all people um, in Congress. But, you know, we see, uh, for example, the squad, um, you know, the, the term used for those uh, four representatives who are really kind of shattering um, barriers. Um, how does that make you feel to see uh, these young, you know, women um, who are representing our, our country? Um, I feel empowered. I mean, the seeing like young women, especially the women of color from the same socioeconomic backgrounds as myself and the same, you know, cultural backgrounds of myself defeating, um, you know, that normal, it's really empowering. Even if I wasn't in politics and I wasn't, that wasn't my dream to become something. I know that a lot of girls who that that's not their like passion, they still feel empowered. They feel like they have a voice, which is really important. It's really important in our day and age to feel like you at least have a voice, you know, especially in government. And a lot of people fail to realize like how close, you know, constituency is. 
to your congressmen, to your congresswomen. You know, you can easily make a phone call and, you know, talk to these people. You know, they're not these um, celebrity type people who are really hard to, like, obtain. You make a phone call, you, you write an email, you write a letter, and you have a voice that's heard. And a lot of people fail to realize that. That's so true. Um, you know, I try to to write my my Congress people. You know, recently um, with the the post office issue. You know, like uh, as I talked about in my first episode, I'm a business owner and I own a business that relies on the post office. And so, I'm trying to relay my concerns to them, right? Um, because if we don't, you know, our voice uh, ultimately could go unheard. Um. I want to ask you, you know, earlier you said part of the reason why you're interested in political studies is because you want to um, empower people like you. Um, how do you see yourself doing that? I mean, I, I know obviously there's so many different paths, um, but I mean, if you had to pick one, I guess, is your ideal path to empower people like you, what would that be? What would that look like? So my, what I want to do um you know, to just get a kickstart in politics because you don't just, you know, indulge yourself in. That's why I really want to go into law school. Um, that's my main way of wanting to empower people of, you know, my type of people. So immigration law, civil rights law, trying to be that stand for these people who are at the hands of America, who need America the most to stand up for them. Um, that's how I want to empower people, you know, whether it be through a civil law, civil law um, court case or if it be through, um, you know, immigration or trying to get, you know, somebody who really needs America to thrive right now. Because as I said, America is the opportunity of success. And that's what my dad taught me. That's what he continues to tell me every day. America is the land of opportunity and success. And you have to use that to your advantage. We're lucky. We're lucky to be here and we're lucky to have that opportunity. But some people aren't. And some people need that opportunity to thrive. And who are we to tell them that they're not allowed to be here? So that's that's one of my ways of trying to empower these people, to fight for these people, to really be there. Um, so that's how I want to start off. And I feel like if I can, you know, build a base, build myself in politics and, you know, hopefully either become, you know, I mean, a long-standing dream, as I said, you know, a senator to empower women of color from the same socioeconomic backgrounds as myself, you know, to take on that route that, you know, I mean, AOC has, or to become mayor of Madison, to just have that say, to have that voice so that other girls and other people from my background know that, you know, we're able to do that. And, you, you know, you have these goals and you, and you want to empower people. And, and we do see these examples of, um, you know, women of color, uh, very much like you, right? Um, they're younger, younger women who are making an impact. Um, how does it make you feel to see attacks on, on these women of color? Like, I mean, Representative Omar, I know, has, has gone through uh, quite a lot um, just due to the fact that she's a Muslim woman, um, you know, claiming that she's connected to 9-11, um, you know, death threats and all these things. I mean, how does that make you feel? And, and does that make you want to push on even even harder in these goals? Right. It's hurtful, It's it, but it, it is, it's even more empowering. You know, I keep using the word empowering because it is. These women are empowering. And the fact that, I mean, 
people know, you know, they know that she wasn't connected to 9-11. You know, they know that she's not a terrorist. They know these things, but they say those things to put her down. You know, just like I said, government politics is exactly like school politics. You know, when I was starting off at school trying to become, you know, the vice president of, you know, the executive vice president of our school, I got a lot of hate for it, too. I mean, I've gotten death threats at our at James Clemens High School, which is actually like, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of minorities that stay at that school. So it was kind of, you know, I've seen it with my own eyes. You know, I've received like threats myself. I've received like, you know, hate, hate. And I've received all of these things before. Um, and to me, even like firsthand, all it does is make me want to go in stronger. Right. And that's that's amazing that you say that, because I know some people I, I feel like would kind of back down. Right. Um, but I think it takes uh, strong people and, and strong women like you um, to fight through that and, and to, to just shrug it off, really, and, and take it as more fuel to your fire. Um, oh, yeah. I, I want to ask you, you know, one thing. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but when we were we, we used to ride the bus together because we lived we lived pretty close. Um and one day we were sitting together and I guess, I guess you asked me what I wanted to do with my life. And just like now, I probably told you, I really don't have, uh, don't have it narrowed down, don't have it figured out. Um, but I can tell you, I don't want to, you know, sit at a desk all day, just like you. Um, but that, you know, politics was one of the things I was, was interested in. Um, and I mean, I guess you asked me kind of like what I, I might want to do with that. And I asked you as far as, like your goals for that. And I asked like, you know, would you be president one day if you could? And do do you remember what you said to that? I can't remember, but I know I probably said something along the lines of how could I become president? Like who would vote for me? You know? Yeah. Um, Yes. And and that stuck with me um, is is that you said something just along those lines is like, you know, who's going to see a Muslim woman, you know, uh, who looks like me, um, you know, and, and want to put them in a position of power. Um, has your opinion on that changed in the last three years? Um, if so, kind of what has spurred that? Um, I guess I have to say that my opinion has yet to change on that. Because as you said, like, you know, just Congresswomen, like, you know, Omar, Ilhan Omar, and those those girls, they receive so much hate for just being in Congress, right? Um, and to receive, I mean, we still yet to have a woman president, right? Like a female president do the job. So to come in and try be, and become a female Muslim president, ruling over, you know, America, that's that's hard, you know, and that's not something that I really see happening. But I wish it could. I wish it could happen. Um, and, you know, you never know with this new upcoming generation, with, I mean, the people that I meet every day, you'd be surprised, like, you know, how many people could care less that, you know, oh, you're a woman, oh, you're Muslim, as long as you're fit to do the job. But it can be kind of scary to even just think about, right? So that is a far-fetched dream for a, you know, a Muslim Kurdish American girl, you know, as a 19 year old girl, it's far fetched to dream such a thing, but it is, it is a big dream of mine. I mean, who wouldn't, who wouldn't want to be that, right? Yeah. And I mean, 
I think you just have to keep dreaming, you know, um, and uh, who knows what, what might happen. Um, I mean, is there something that, that I can do that, that our listeners on the show, um, can do to kind of make you feel more confident in that and, and help you feel like that dream is something that you can reach? Or is that something that you feel like just will take time? So as you said, Jude, it really does take time. It takes time, um, you know, with, I mean, 9-11 was not super recent, but it's also not far away, right? It happened in 2001 and it's 2020, but people still think about it. You know, you see a Muslim girl wearing a headscarf, I mean, walking around Target and, you know, you, you still get, you know, hate for it. There's still like, hate crimes happening against it. So to put a woman like that, um, not just trying to buy her groceries, but in power, it's not something that you think is going to happen. But what I would say is to lose the judgment, right? It's to really, when it comes to politics, when it comes to voting, when it comes to using your voice, try to see the person that you're voting for instead of what they are. Look at who they are. You know, instead of seeing that, oh, he's a white 60-year-old man or, oh, she's a 30-year-old, you know, woman of color or, right? Instead of seeing that, see what are, what are they standing for? What do they want for this country? Are they really what this country is? Are, are, do they represent our country to the fullest? And to me, I don't think you find somebody like, like myself or like my, you know, like a, a woman of color to represent America better. I don't, I don't find how you find somebody better. You know, I don't see how you can find somebody better to represent America than, you know, what all of this revolution is about, right? The Black Lives Matter movement, the Me Too movement, all of these things that kind of make up our history, our now history, that needs to be heard of and it needs to be said from a higher power, right? When you look at the, our, when you open your history book and the first page of like U.S. government, your U.S. government history book and stuff like that, it's just a picture of all of our presidents, right? And when you look at it, you see the same exact people. You know what I'm saying? You see right. the same exact people who look exactly the same. But when you go outside and you go to your local grocery store, you see all of these different people, Right. You see all of these people, all of these women, you see children, you see people of color, you see people of different races, people who have different beliefs as you. That's what makes America, we're not, we're not homogenous. We carry a bunch of different people, but still we're led by the same exact majority every single time. So it's not really a good representation of who we are and what America needs. Yes. And I think, you know, we are definitely making uh, progress. You know, we have uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you know, um, in, in New York, and she's, uh, I think she's 30 years old. Um, and, you know, whether you agree with her politics or not, I don't think you have to a agree with, with the politics that, that she has. But I think you can recognize the fact that that's an amazing thing, right? That, uh, you know, a woman who... Um, you know, a year before she started serving in, in Congress was a, a server at a restaurant. Um, you know, like you said, someone you see at the grocery store um, is is serving in, in Congress and, and representing the people uh, in her district. 
Right, right. And that's really, that's the root of politics, you know, because I mean, to somebody who isn't passionate about politics, who just hears it on the news, you ask them what politics is, and they're going to tell you the same exact answer, right? Like, it's not really, but when you dive into the deeps and the depths of what politics is, it should be this, these people coming together to really form, especially in America, to really form the, like, the biggest part of what America is, the melting pot that it is. Right. And I want to go back to something you were talking about, um, you know, with being, you know, walking around in the grocery store, you know, with, with your head scarf and all that. I, I know whenever uh, we went to James Clemens together, that was something that you wore every day. Um, do you still wear your head scarf every day? So actually, I took it off. Um, it's not something that I wear every day. I still wear it to um, religious outings. I wear it when I pray. But I have taken it off. I wore it all throughout high school, all throughout middle school, and some of elementary school. But that is more of, I didn't take it off because I felt uncomfortable in it or I, you know, for any other reason except for the fact that I wanted to fully um, learn more about it before I put it on, right? So I kind of wore it as, you know, a, a say that, look, I'm Muslim and everything that I do, because when you look at the media, and you hear about Muslims, it's always negative. It's always super negative. But then when you meet your Muslim classmates, I mean, I've had so many people in high school be like, okay, you are not what I expected you to be, right? Like, you, this is not what I expected a Muslim girl to be like, you know? Um, and to me, that was shocking, like, because all these people see and hear is what they hear on the news, what their family tells them. And then they go out to their local high school and they meet a girl who is you know nothing like them and so for me wearing my, the reason I wore it was more of to show myself like look I'm Muslim and I'm a good person and I'm not what you see on the news um, and to me that is a really big part of wearing the hijab but also I wanted to learn more about it religiously before I put it on so it was more of like a learning aspect taking my time with it rather than you know, putting it on for just one singular reason. So that's why I took it off. Okay. Well, that definitely makes sense. And, you know, I think that's interesting that you talk about um, wanting to show people that there, there are, um, you know, there, there is good out there. And I feel like that's what we have to do, right? Um, you know, no matter whether you're religious or not, or, you know, other characteristics that you might have, um, I think the best way to show those things is, is through, um, the person that you are. And I really appreciate you, um, you know, joining us today on the show to, to share, um, your story and to kind of share that bubbly personality with us because, um, you know, I think a lot of times either people, uh, don't get the opportunity to meet, uh, Muslims like, like yourself and they get that idea from, I don't know, the media, the, you know, social media, I, I don't know. Um, but whenever, you know, we all come together and we share our stories and we, we ask questions and, and and just listen to the answers. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to tell our audience, Sarah? Or Well, I guess like to reiterate on my main points, um, I guess the main takeaway or the advice I would give is to not be afraid. To just live your life and realize that everybody around you is living theirs right? Whether it be you changing your majors or you getting a new neighbor, you know, right down the street. Um, 
not to be afraid because that's you know that's life we should we shouldn't live in fear i agree i think we just need to live our lives and you know appreciate all the people around us um and and do our best to be good people who love one another and, and serve one another okay well that is sarah hakeem with us uh today sarah thank you so much for joining us uh, here on the show thank you thank you for having me